Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. But Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship, and we're going to continue in that same vein uh, as we go to your Word. And I simply pray that you would help me to communicate your heart, specifically tonight, the sympathetic heart of Jesus. Uh, there's a place in your heart where you relate to our, our weakness, as it says in Hebrews. So Lord, give me grace and give us all grace to hear what you're saying, to lay a hold of what you have for us as individuals. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth. Jesus, you sent the spirit to help us, to lead us into all truth. So lead us into truth by your Holy Spirit. I acknowledge my weakness. I'm human and I'm limited. I have very little bandwidth, but, but Holy Spirit, you're unlimited. So take us to the depths of Christ tonight. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, grab those notes and grab a pen, your fancy new pen, best pen you have now. And uh, let me just read the introduction here, the, the verses, Hebrews four fourteen to 16. Excuse me. If you're on Facebook, these notes are online. Just want to say that real quick, gphop.org slash teachings. Uh, there's notes right there. Click on the little notes box. And really why I do these is because I don't go through all of it, but you can just study on your own time. Uh, I try to put in extra verses and a few more thoughts. Um, but Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says something that I think is very significant. I, I said in later on the notes, I call it one of the high points of Scripture. Because in the book of Hebrews, what's happening is we don't know who the author is. No one knows. We're going to get to heaven and be shocked. It's probably going to be like this 13-year-old girl or something. You know, what? <laughs> no one knows. We have our theories. But the author of Hebrews is demonstrating that this man, Jesus, is superior to all angels. He's superior to every high priest who's ever lived. He's, he's writing about how exceedingly superior this man, Jesus, is to in, anyone or anything. And in chapter 4, he's zeroed in on this idea that he is this high priest superior to all other high priests. Because in, in religious life in Israel, you guys know this, the high priest was chosen to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. I mean, this, I mean imagine being given this job. They actually put a rope on you in case you died. So they could pull you out. I just think, what a, like, okay, let's rope him up so in case he gets killed or because so, of compromise. I mean, that job to me was just so, a lot of fear and a lot of humor. And my, you know, I just think, 
Bill, it's your turn. Rope you up time. You know, I just think, wow. But once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And then comes Jesus, you know, thousands of years later, and he is a high priest, but a high priest who doesn't need to offer sacrifices for himself and people, just people, just others. He is that sacrifice. And so we pick it up in Hebrews 4.14. He's talking about that. And he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens. So he's saying this is not only a great high priest, he's gone through heaven to be seated at the right hand of God. This is a, this is, so he's trying to just heap up the amount of superlatives. Great high priest passes through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, let us hold fast our confession. He says in verse 15, he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That, to me, is an important statement. That's what I want to zero in on tonight. We have this great high priest. He's passed through heaven. He's the Son of God. This is a very powerful man. He's appeased God the Father's requirement of total perfection. He's lived it. He's died it. And he's now at the right hand of the Father. And he's, he's almost, he's like we would look at him as like a superhuman Thor, Wonder Woman, kind of Zeus-like person. Who could do that? He's so powerful. And yet the author of Hebrews says, but he's, he's sympathetic to people. Now we would think someone who's perfect, who's so perfect that they could be a sacrifice for the sins of the world, someone who could just sit at the right hand of God like I, I'm supposed to be here, someone of that stature, we we would think of them as just almighty, and and you know kind of stop there. The author of Hebrews says, well, he is that, but he has a heart of sympathy toward people. In other words, the Jesus that we serve, the one we worship on Friday night, Sunday morning, the rest of the week, the one we pray to. He's not just powerful. He's not just God. He has a, a heart of tenderness and sympathy toward you and me. And he, he specifically says that he has a heart of sympathy toward our weaknesses. So what that means is, is that when we stumble, when we sin, when we struggle... The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, isn't up in heaven like in this uncontrollable rage, like, why can't they get it right? I've died for them and I've done everything and they can't stop compromising. That's just not who he is. The picture that we're given by the author of Hebrews is that he feels for us because he's been there. And I want to unpack that tonight. I I put a few definitions down, and I went to thesaurus.com and dictionary.com just to have something that, you know, if you Google this, this is what's going to come up first. But the idea of sympathy, okay, I, I even looked up a few videos, and some videos are good and some are not so good because um, really sympathy and empathy, they're similar. 
Um, although you'll find content online where they try to make them different, they're not really that different. Empathy really is, I'm trying to get you. I'm try- I, you went through something, and I didn't, but I'm, I'm, I'm relating to it. I'm trying. Sympathy is, I went through it, and so I get what you're going through. Like, you've been in a car accident, I've been in a car accident, I get it, it hurts. So empathy and sympathy, they're, they're similar. And, though, and in fact, if you look up on thesaurus.com for synonyms for sympathy, one of the synonyms is empathy. And so the idea of sympathy is there's this sharing, this similar feelings for one, uh, uh, one another, especially in sorrow or trouble or um, this feeling of compassion or empathy because you've gone through something and I've gone through something. Here's the good news. The struggle you go through and I go through and people on Facebook go through, Jesus has gone through that. The feelings that you have of you want to quit or you want to pull back in your relationship with God or temptations to do this or that, Jesus has actually been through those things too. And so let's, uh, let's just unpack this a little bit. And then at the end here, I've got three Three kind of, I want to just bring it home to three examples. Let me just touch on a little bit of theology um, real quick. Again, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, I call it a high point of Scripture. That's just totally my opinion. I just think it's, it's a very significant passage. But the, the key takeaway tonight is think of Jesus, think of all you know of him, and begin to develop a theological, a theological grid that he sympathizes with you. He sympathizes with your struggles. He sympathizes with your temptations. The idea is that he understands you by experience. Okay, so what, let me say that different. He's not God in heaven relating to you in a theory it's not like he read a book on here here's what i think human life's like oh poor andrew i see what he's going through and i've never been there but must be bad so i'll pray for him a little more now jesus was here god was here and he lived here for 33 years and so the wrestle you have he had it the wrestle of growing up figuring life out wrestling with you know, money issues and greed and, and lust and pride and whatever else come. I mean, all the hundreds of things we deal with, family struggles, all, I mean, just think of all the things you think in a given day, those entered his mind too. Now, it's a little different because, you know, he, he you know, if we throw, uh, drop our iPhone on the ground and it cracks, he, he never had an iPhone. <laughs> but the emotion the, the feeling of like, oh, man, that's a bummer. Like he had those thoughts. He had those feelings. And, um, and so some people go, well, he, 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 didn't, he, he didn't live in the 21st century. So no, but there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. So although there's details that are different, he went through what we are going through. And I praise God that we serve a God like that. You know, he didn't remain in his ivory tower, so to speak, and just kind of live distant and kind of monitor what's going on. 
He put on flesh and was incarnated and begotten of the Virgin Mary and lived here. I mean, God, as the creeds say, very God, the Son of God, lived here. And he gets your life by experience, not by theory, by experience. Well, God, I don't think you know what I'm going through because I don't feel you. And, you know, you never had this. No, I was there. I do get it. I do understand you more than you think. That's really good news. So, so Jesus is able to sympathize with the human race. He's able to sympathize with his church because he's wrestled with it. He wrestled with obeying his father. He wrestled with strange people. He wrestled with Peter's who tried to rebuke him even though he was God. And he wrestled with people's unbelief. And he, he, he was in the struggle too. And yet here's the thing that separates Jesus from everybody else who, who has lived, including you and me. He never sinned one time. So he was tempted to be proud. He was tempted to be greedy. He was tempted to just run away and quit. He was tempted to draw back in his pursuit of God. He was tempted to lust. He was tempted in every point you are and I am. And he always obeyed at the deepest level. And that's remarkable. There, there's just, like I think to myself, man, I think I might have sinned like a hundred times today. I mean, what I did, what I didn't do. I mean, the thoughts that filled my head, the emotions, you know, the anger, this, that. The fact that every day for 33 years, it was just obedience, obedience. I mean, that, we're talking about a mighty, mighty man. I think of that one verse where it says the enemy tried to like get an in on Jesus, but found no place. There was nowhere he could get an in on Jesus. I, re, I reworded that slightly, but you know what I'm saying. This is such an impressive man. But he didn't obey fully for 33 years and get this like hard outer shell and this cold, devout, you know, some people get really obedient, but then they're cold and they're mean and you can't really talk to them because they're so obedient. Well, no, that, that's actually not even obedience. That's just, that's just mean. That's not Christ-like. Jesus was so fiercely obedient that his heart got more and more tender to the point where he's like, I get you. I want to help you. I was there. Yes, I had to obey fully, you know, for the sake of redemption and to save the world and all that. That was part of my calling. I mean, guys, imagine if your calling was to be perfect. Imagine if that was on your shoulders. Peg, all you got to do is just live perfect the rest of your life. Then we're all good. Caleb, all you got to do, just never sneak the iPad the rest of your life. Then we're good. I'm just, I'm just teasing. Don't hate me. <laughs> I mean, imagine, seriously, the call of God on your life is all you got to do is be perfect, never sin again, then die on a cross brutally. Oh, he did this for us. And because he went through it, he looks down at my life. Derek, I get, I, you're weird, but I get the struggle. <laughs> David, Leah, you know, Luke, I get it. I was your age once. I, I thought what you think. I was there. You know, we tend to think that Jesus was just this, he just kind of poof, 
33 years old, perfect, and never, you know, just kind of did what he had to do, check, good, now we can get saved. No, he was one years old and two and three and four and five all the way up. I mean, he, it's just weird to think. I mean, he went from 12 to 13 to 14. Man goes through puberty and he starts to figure out, oh gosh, this is different. I mean, and he's the son of God. Then he gets into his, you know, his later uh, teens and he becomes a young adult and he, he's a man and then and on and on. He fully experienced human life. Why do I want to bring this subject up? I actually have a specific context that I want to share on tonight. It's so important that we begin to wrap our mind around this because we will experience weakness. We will experience weakness. And, and, and I think we all know that. You know, like, yeah, of course. But I mean, there will come a point where we will want to quit. It might be on your walk with God. It might be on your marriage. It might be on any number of things. There will come real struggles where uh, someone you love dies. There will come intense things where it breaks you. It might be a sin you commit. You vowed I would never do something like that. And I, I... said, you know, I saw people do it. And I said, I'll never do that. And then you do that thing. There will come a point where we run into that. It's inevitable. We're human. And so what I've written down here in letter D is I have a real heart for these kinds of people because I'm one of these kinds of people. It's one of these, I want to be fully committed. I want to be on fire. I want to follow Jesus to the end. I want to be, you know, all the way in kind of person. That's my folk. I want to do that my whole life. And yet, in all of our zeal to be as committed and as passionate, as radical as possible, there will come a time where we don't feel like it. And it's almost like a crisis for people. You know, you're, you're like a youth group and you're known as the on fire person. And then 10 years goes by and you're like, what happened? Like, all the people I used to do youth group with, they're not really following the Lord. And you know, I'm not even really sure what I believe anymore. What are, Lord, what do I? You'll hit that at some point. And we'll hit it a few times in, in life. But I remember, you know, when I was in the middle of my college years, I mean, I had so gone radical for Jesus. Like I was so spiritual. I hit that first, that first like, I don't even know if I want to do this. <laughs> and it scared me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was even capable of thinking that. I'm, I just live and breathe Jesus every day. There's a lot I had to figure out. But those first few years where I got discipled and Jesus became my obsession and all that, and I, you know, I started watching David Hogan videos. I think I found out about Mike Bickle at some point in there. And I just, oh man, if I had any free time, it was prayer. Any free time, it was Bible. I mean, any free time, we're going downtown to go witnessing. It's just, you know, people who watch TV, I can't believe they're that backslidden. And I can't believe, you know, I just had all the most extreme opinions. And then one day, you know, just, I don't even know if I want to do any of this ever. You know, I'm just, uh. <laughs> like, whoa, what am I thinking? I used to be. And so I have, I have, I relate. Guys, here's the thing. That touched Jesus too. That, that really is something Jesus went through. He was getting to a point in his younger life or teen years where he said, oh, he realized, 
I'm the savior of the world. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, I will if you want me to, but oh, that's a burden. But, you know, we, we see through the gospels, there's times where the Holy Spirit says, I want you to write that down because that shows us how human he is. Even going to the cross, Jesus said to his father, like, I don't want this cup, but I'll take it if you want me to have it. Like, I really don't want to go receive the wrath of God right now and pay that penalty for the world. But if you really do want me to, I'll do it. And so we know he wrestled in a deep way. And, and that wasn't just one time. And that was something he went through probably his whole life is wrestling with that. Certainly in, in some seasons more than others, but the point I'm trying to make is we go through these seasons of weakness. Jesus went through them too. And what we wonder though, that's what I want to touch on. What we wonder, okay, used to be on fire. I really, really want to, I want to go all out for you, Jesus, but I'm I kind of maybe not doing it as much and and I, but I want to, but I'm not. What do you think of me now that, I mean, I used to be doing this and now I'm kind of not, like, are we good still? And, and the answer I want to give you tonight is, you're, you're good. You're good. He sympathizes with you. It, it's never going to look the way you thought it would look. When you were 18 or 19 or 20 or 12, 13, 14, you thought it was going to feel like this and it was going to look like this and it's totally different. And he says, I get it. I I sympathize. You're human. You're not going to nail it like Peter thought he was going to nail it and I had to inform him, you're not going to nail it like you thought. We all go through this. But what it's so important when we go through seasons of weakness is to know he loves us so, so genuinely. And he sympathizes. He's not wanting to strike us with lightning and take away our salvation card and say, you're not fit for me. Like, you know, what, when you were on fire in youth group, I loved you, but now that you're not as on fire, I don't know, maybe we're not on talking terms. He doesn't do this. But this is what we think. We say, well, back here I was doing this, this, and this, and you loved me, but now that I'm not doing it, Do you love me still? What do you think of me? Are we good? The answer is yes. You're good. Guys, we go through really, really deep wrestles and struggles throughout the course of our discipleship. For some people, that's literally 70, 80, or 90 years. I kind of praise God we don't live as long as they used to. I think of Brother Methuselah, who lived to almost be a thousand. The man almost lived a millennium. I mean, I think to myself, if I had to go to, <laughs> if I had to go through all the struggles I go through in my little life in that long of a life, I mean, how many altar calls would I be going to? You know, every few years, I give my life to you again, Lord. <laughs> oh, I just, I, man, it's the mercy of God. We only get about a hundred years, you know, ish. Guys, they really lived that long back then. They, they lived that long. I mean, I just think to myself, oh, wow. Mandy, if you lived to be 900, would you be on fire for 900 years? Of course. Yes, you would. Okay. That'd be, that'd be tough to be married to you that long because I'd go through my seasons of doubt and struggle and you'd be like, Jesus, I love you. 
<laughs> oh, see, David, you just marry up, and they just carry you. They just carry you. <laughs> Good man. Let me just give three examples briefly, just to really touch on what I mean tonight. Question number one, what does Jesus think of me when I'm weak spiritually? We've established that he's sympathetic. We established that he loves us in our weakness. But let me just, let's, let's ask this. What does Jesus really think of me when I'm weak spiritually? When I'm not as devoted as I should be, not having my quiet time like I should, I'm not as on fire as I was in my youth group days or whatever. Well, let's look to Scripture. We know the story of Thomas. I mean, imagine going through what the early disciples went through. Jesus was doing all these signs and wonders for years and years, and they're all following him, and then he dies. And then he's buried. Crucified, died, buried. Now, you're not reading the New Testament. You're just living through it. And so Thomas does what I'd probably do. I go, guys, it's over. Like, literally, the move of God died, dead, buried. Like, it's, it's, it's over. <laughs> I would have done something like that. And Thomas gets to this point where they're, you know, all the other disciples are saying, no, we're seeing him. It's a miracle. And he's like, guys, you're making it up. I, probably, I don't know what I would have been if I'd gone through that. That's crazy. But, but Thomas says, you guys, if I don't see him myself, if I don't put my hand in his side, if I don't see those scars on his hands, I won't believe. So what does Jesus do in Thomas's weakness? Does he strike him with lightning? How dare you not believe me? I'm God. Jesus comes to Thomas, appears to him personally. Actually, comes into the room. There's, he just says he just appears in the room. The doors were closed. We don't know how that happened. He appears in the room and he's, he has a personal encounter with Thomas. He says, Thomas, I heard what you said. Touch me, dude. I'm right here. Touch me. Put your, if you want to put your hand in my side, go ahead. That's weird, but go ahead. Do it if you want to. But this is really, it's real. It's, it's strange, it's different, but it's real. And so Thomas, in that moment, he signed up again. I find it so incredible. Jesus doesn't show up and offer some stunning rebuke with lightning sh striking out of his eyes. He says, Thomas, reach here, touch me. Put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Here's the thing. We serve a God when we're weak in our faith. He comes closer. That's what he does. When you're weak in your faith, he doesn't run a mile in the other direction hoping you catch up. He comes nearer. He comes closer. He becomes unavoidable. He runs you down, guys. You don't have to keep you to the end. Jesus will keep you. If you're sincere, and I know you are, if you're sincere in your faith, you can ask those hard questions. You can even be a little cynical if that's really where you're at, and he shows up, and he blows you up, and you'll never be the same. That's what he does. When you're spiritually weak, he's not intimidated. He went through it, guys. We go through it. He went through it. And so he gets it, and so he says, oh, Thomas needs an encounter. I'm going to get a little closer. Kind of makes you want to go home and say, Lord, I don't believe. <laughs> Can I have one of those too? <laughs> well, now that Jesus showed up, he was on the hook, you know. 
I think all the guys in the room were like, oh, Thomas, I told you. They told, hey, are you guys watching The Chosen? I hope you're watching The Chosen. It makes these guys so much more real. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, like Jesus like left that night and then like throwing paper at him and stuff. Like, I told you, why were you so unbelieving? Anyway, they're guys, they were dudes. They're young dudes. They, just, they messed with each other just like we do. One of the most important questions we have to settle. What does he think of me when I'm weak? Because I'm, I'm just so weak. I, I, wish, I, I wish I could be dedicated, but I'm not. He says, I love you so much. And when you're in the deepest despair of total weakness, I get even closer. That's how I run things. And so don't be afraid of yourself. Don't be afraid of going to that place because we all get there. This idea that there are people that don't touch weakness ever, it's not real. Even Jesus touched it. That's what the Bible says. Well, I thought Jesus couldn't sin. Well, he's God, so he can't, but he's man, so he could, but he overcame. It's both. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Fully God can't sin. Fully man, capable of it, but chose not to. Fully obeyed. He's our great high priest. In order to be a great high priest, you have to be God and you have to be man both. Only one person qualified for that. And that was Jesus. Number two, what does Jesus think of me when I sin? This is taking it up a notch. Okay, I'm not as dedicated as I should be, but at least I haven't done something like that over there. Whoops, I did that over there now. Ooh, thought I'd never do that. What does Jesus think of me when I sin or or sin grievously? Like something I thought I'd never would. I use the, uh, the example of the story of the adulteress. The story of the adulteress. Um, now, here's the thing I want you to get. Jesus was tempted too. Jesus is not immune to temptation. He went through temptation, yet not having sin. Those terms are not synonymous. Temptation is not sin. Sin is sin. When we're tempted, the enemy's trying to hook us into sin. But every time that, that, that kind of hook went out to Jesus to get him, he said, no thanks. So what does Jesus, imagine yourself in this story, you're this lady, says she's caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, that's just crazy. These religious people are insane. They go catch her in the very act of adultery. They drag her out into the street and they're like about to stone her to death. Imagine that happening on your street. Like, I just think this is so crazy that the people he ministered with were just as crazy as the people we live with. I mean, just... This is this really happened. I just every time I read it, I go, "Oh my gosh, no! That that just that's that's got to be a movie. That can't be real life, but that's real life." They drag her out. I mean, they let the guy go, which is ridiculous. They drag this lady out. They're about to stone her. Jesus is there, and he, you know, he does his little writing in the sand. We'll find out what that was one day. And he just drops a bomb on these Pharisees. He who is without sin, you cast the first stone. They all get so convicted, they just drop their rocks and they leave. Then he goes over and he says he raises himself up. There's no one but the woman. He says to her, woman, where are those accusers? Has no one condemned you? No, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, then I don't condemn you either. The one person in that group who could have condemned her decided not to. The people who were sinful wanted to condemn her. The guy who wasn't sinful 
offers mercy. There's a lesson in that. Guys, here's, the, here's, here's something that's real. The more you get victory in your life, the more merciful you become. The more you live in bondage, you want people to get hurt. You want people to pay for their sins. Don't talk to me about mine, but look at you. I can't believe you. And this is what we have a whole generation of stone throwers on Facebook. And on Twitter and on Instagram, they can't help themselves. They can't help but comment. I can't. Man, this disease of self-righteousness is crazy. The one person who could have thrown a stone says, I offer you mercy tonight. I mean, can you imagine, just seriously, guys, gal, I mean, guys, this is hard to relate, but if you're this woman dragged into the street, you are so profoundly ashamed. This is devastating. And so for a Messiah figure, for a rabbi, a leader to come in and to offer you mercy, that's life-changing. This is what he does for me and you. When we sin grievously i'm not saying go out and do something grievous but it happens and i don't want it to happen but it does happen you know i've been in ministry for 20 years i mean people who thought there's no way i would do they do it and here's the thing nine times out of ten I, I, this could be a whole long sermon if I go off on this. I'm just going to keep this as simple as possible. Most people, they just weren't thinking. They're sincerely in love with God. They just weren't thinking. And so you offer them mercy. You do what Jesus did, uh, did and you say, look, we're not going to condemn you. You can't do this anymore, though. That's exactly what Jesus said. Because some people go, oh, he just made light of sin. No, here's what he did right here. He said, I don't condemn you. Uh oh, is it? We losing? Low power mode. Oh, okay. It's saying hurry up, Derek. What what he did here is he said. He said what? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more, friends. Here's what we got to do. We got to offer mercy to people, and we got to show them, hey, that was that was not wise. We love you. You can't keep doing that. That's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin other people. I'm talking about the big ones. And you fill in the blank with what you think that is. But we, we offer mercy. And when, when, it hap- when it's us, obviously we've got to you know, talk to people and get stuff worked out. But here's the thing. This is how Jesus thinks of us when we sin grievously. I think of the King David scenario. King David blew it on top of blew it on top of blew it. I mean, a guy dies, he's, he's in this crazy affair thing, and yet through all that, he genuinely repented. And here's the thing, there are people who do really grievous things, and they genuinely repent, and we accept that. We have to be a forgiving people. He accepts it. If it's real, if it's sincere, he accepts it. Now, there's a whole other conversation for people who are insincere. There's a difference between a Peter and a Judas, There's a difference between a King Saul and a King David, and the issue is sincerity. Deeply sincere, radical, on-fire Christians mess up hugely. And when they do, we, we walk with them, we help them, and we restore them, and they walk in victory. People who are insincere, and they just keep, you know, over and over and over, and they're never, they don't care. 
then they might not even be a Christian. We don't, I mean, that, that's a whole other topic. But really radical, on fire, they do, we all stumble. And so we have, to, we have to understand that's what Jesus thinks of us and how we have to help others. I mean, let me wrap this up. Let me go to the last one here. It always goes longer than I imagined. Oh, boy. What does Jesus think of me when I fail as a leader? Very quickly, some of you are going to be leading people one day. Some of you are going to, you know, pastor or lead a ministry or in the corporate world or on and on. What does Jesus think of me when I fail as a leader? I thought I was going to be this and I thought I was going to be so dedicated. I already mentioned it. Simon you know, I'm going to, I'll die for you, Jesus, whatever it takes, and I totally betrayed you. Peter went into a depression. Peter went into, like, I quit kind of mode, and Jesus shows up in John 21, Simon, do you love me? I love it. He, He asked him three times, for the three times Peter betrayed him, Jesus asks three times, do you love me? And on the last one, I love what Peter says. Peter says, you know I love you. You know everything. That's what he says. He goes, Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus is like, that's good. Go do what I told you to do. Go feed my sheep. Do, lead the church, Peter. Yes, it was sin. But I know that you really love me. Move on. Because that's the issue ultimately, isn't it? is we know in our, in our brain we're forgiven, but we just don't move on. And, and Jesus wanted to make a very clear point. Do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. Go feed my lambs. Go feed my sheep. In other words, pour into people. That's who you're called to be, Peter. Don't get stuck on one sin because I'm God and I'm not stuck on that one sin. Yes, you blew it, but I knew you would and I prayed for you and you got through it. Now go move on. We cannot just park for 10 years of our life going, I don't know if you, ah, just move on. Now again, some things we got to work through with other people and it just, you know, it depends. So yeah, if, if you're going through something, be open, be transparent. But ultimately, what does God think? What does Jesus think when I'm weak spiritually, when I sin, when I fail? He has sympathy. He has sympathy. He understands. And he reaches out with mercy. He wants to restore. Again, there's always going to be that one person out there that doesn't care that they compromise, that just doesn't even, there's not even, that doesn't even bother them. And I would debate if they're genuinely a believer. But if you're a real believer, it does bother you when you sin. Even if it's repeated sin, even if it takes you years to break through, it does, it does bother you. That's a sign that you're genuinely a Christian. When, when we sin, even, even little sins, when they bother us, that's a sign you're a believer. I, I tell people it's dangerous when you are getting into heavier and heavier sin. You don't care as much anymore. Oh, whatever. Oh, that's dangerous territory. You don't want to go there. Jesus is a merciful, faithful, sympathetic high priest. In Jesus' name, I'll end that right there. Let me pray. Um, 
And uh, let me just, uh, Brother David, let's just end with, with a brief song here, man. But I'm going to pray, and you guys, you know, whoever wants to play, make your way up. But I just want to pray into this for a moment. I want to thank you guys for hanging with me. I went a little bit long. If there's anybody still on Facebook, appreciate you guys hanging with us. The Lord Jesus, tonight we, we just say thank you that you're not just a great high priest, you're not just the Son of God, but you're a sympathetic high priest. You're a sympathetic God. You sympathize with our weaknesses. Father, tonight I pray for those, maybe in this room, maybe uh, on the recording, maybe through Facebook, There are those asking some of the questions I've gone through tonight. What does Jesus think of me when I'm weak? What does he think of me when I sin? What does he think of me when I fail? Lord, tonight I'm asking for your perspective to come to those situations. Lord, I pray all over our city tonight, the sympathy of Christ would be made known to hearts and minds. That people who are going through difficult circumstances would know You've been there. You get it. And you're committed to helping. The verse that I haven't read yet at the very end of Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Therefore, in light of all that, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, I pray that tonight we would find that grace. We ask tonight for grace. We ask for mercy. Help us in our time of need, Lord. Lord, we need you. We need grace. We need mercy. Help us where we're stuck. Help us where we're sinful. Help us in places where we have failed. Lord, we need your touch tonight. In Jesus' name. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.